Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're getting a little more academic and discussing <laughs> literary illusions. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. We're really going to have to come to terms with how academic we want to get in our intro when we're like, not too academic. Just what we mean by that. Enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like Louise has two temperatures that she knows, too hot and just right. There's no, yeah. <laughs> there's so nothing not else. Too academic. We're just right academic. <laughs> Theo just said, like, everything that we give to him is, like, hot, and he has to blow on it yes. before he well, eats it. So, so fun. Just yeah. You just got to be safe. That's right. <laughs> oh, these kiddos, they're so funny. Um, all right. We're talking about literary illusions, and yeah, this is going to be a fun episode. This is kind of an answer to one of our most frequently asked questions. It's a little bit of a TBR toppler. It's a little bit of a nerdy conversation. So let's just start, Sarah, with a definition of illusion. This is our definition that we're working with, and we go much more in depth in our class on illusions, which we'll talk about a little bit. But the definition of an illusion is a reference to a work of art, literature, or cultural item within another work, usually brief not something every audience member or reader may grasp. Illusions may illuminate a theme or a motif, but missing an illusion should not impede your reading experience. They are a bonus treat and not the main meal. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that can be helpful is differentiating a little bit. So an illusion is different from, say, a retelling or a reimagining where maybe, maybe you would get more kind of knowing those those um, foundational texts. The illusion is an illusion is usually passing. Um, it's brief, and it kind of can be up to the reader a little bit. What is an illusion and what is not? Like if you get it, notice it, make the connection, then it can be an illusion to you, even if it's not necessarily what the author intended. But we get way more into that, the theories of illusions, defining illusions, the function of illusions, and how to grasp and analyze illusions in our Patreon Classics Club. So we did an entire class on recognizing and making the most of mythological illusions. That recording is still available to our patrons at the literature scholar level. So if you listen to today's episode and you're like, this is fun, but I want to figure out how to do this more in my reading life and get more out of the illusions I come across, hop over to Patreon. We have a link to that in our show notes and you can join us at the literature scholar level to catch that, that class and all of the back catalog of classes we offer there. So today we're focusing on a different aspect of illusions, and this is based on one of our more frequently asked questions, which is, which classic books should I read to pick up on more illusions in my contemporary reading? 
And I get why people want to know this because picking up on illusions is really fun. And there, it feels like there's got to be some like core list of classics that you have to read in your lifetime, right? We are not proponents of that theory yeah, of like, these are, are the classics and these are the books you have to read. Um, but we do understand that having a common knowledge of certain texts can be really helpful and that seeing how texts connect to other books and contemporary literature that's what we do here. So we understand the sentiment behind the question, and we are here to help you out as best we can while still encouraging you and saying, you don't necessarily have to read all of these. You don't have to read every single classic to get an illusion, um, but you can kind of just know a little bit about them. Yeah. So you can use this episode as a little bit of a not necessarily TBR toppler, but maybe a TBR builder. Maybe you're going to pull a few of these classics that sound good to you that maybe you want to have in your arsenal of um, potential illusions that you're looking for. I also want to be upfront about the fact that we are really thinking about the Western canon here and those foundational pieces because that is the tradition we were both schooled in and brought up in and our familiarity. And if you read more um, literature in translation and read more broadly from around the world, as you and I both try to do in our own reading lives, there might be illusions you miss because you're unfamiliar with some of the foundational texts in different culture. And that's okay. That's not a reason to, to stick within your set culture, but that is kind of what we're going to be referring to today. Yeah. And I mean, part of that is we're in the United States and so the publishing industry and the books yeah. that are available in most of our bookstores are building off of mostly that Western canon. And so um, I will say though, we're going to start off with kind of like a couple of broad categories um, where you can catch illusions, I think these can be expanded into um, different cultures, not the Western canon. So like mythology, for example, we're talking a lot about Greek mythology this summer with the Odyssey, but every culture has folk tales and mythology. And so um, you can certainly pick up illusions from many different types of mythology. Um so yeah, we've been focusing a lot on Greek mythology with the Odyssey this summer. And then fairy tales from around the world. Um, the more expansive your knowledge is of a fairy tale and it's perhaps it's retellings from around the world, the more that you'll pick up on allusions to fairy tale and mythology and fairy tales and Bible stories probably make up the bulk of the illusions. So when people are like, oh, I want to pick up on illusions and thinking that they need to read these big chunky classics, these are actually the stories that people reference the most in contemporary literature. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, so you probably have a lot of these already in your, stored in your brain. Maybe you haven't thought about some of them in a while. Maybe, maybe you even have some of these stories that live like rent-free in your brain, but you don't really think of them as um, a biblical story that might be alluded to in another text. Because sometimes allusions to certain stories are so frequent. It's not that they lose their power. It's just we almost lose the connection to the original 
source. We're just so, they just become idioms. They just become so common. Um, but if you do want to kind of delve more deeply into mythology, fairy tales, Bible stories, we've been really recommending. I actually just started listening to Troy, uh, the Stephen Fry book, but he, Stephen Fry has a great, um, really accessible, really fun series on Greek mythology. Um, there's Troy, which is a story of the Trojan War. Um, there's Mythos, which is just just some of the most common myths. And then there's heroes. So I'm listening to Troy because I've never read the Iliad and I want that context. Um, but I would say probably mythos and then heroes are great if you want to build your arsenal of Greek myths stockpiled in, in your brain and be able to catch some of those names and stories as allusions in your contemporary reading. As far as fairy tales, there are so many options for you. Um, I remember being a kid and going through a fairy tale phase, kind of the way that you went through a mythology girl phase, Sarah. And our local library had a ton of fairy tale collections. And I would just go and read through those fairy tale collections and had so much fun reading those. For a slightly more uh, grown up, more thorough edition of a fairy tale collection, if you want to get extra nerdy, you could go with one of our favorite publishers, Norton. Um, a Norton critical edition, they have the classic fairy tales. And in this edition, they have seven groupings. They have Little Red Riding Hood, Beauty and the Beast, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Bluebeard, and Tricksters. And then within those groupings or chapters, they have multiple multicultural versions and um, kind of uh, introductions and annotations in there. Um, there are stories by anyone from Hans Christian Andersen to Oscar Wilde, which I think is super fun. There are essays um, and interpretations. And so I, of course, we've talked about Norton Critical Editions before. We really like all of their extra resources built in there. So that's a really great fairy tale collection, especially if you want more of that multicultural vision. You want to read multiple of these fairy tales and some of the same ones from different perspectives. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And I also think that I understand why Bluebeard is not like as widely read, probably because there's no there's no Disney version of Bluebeard. I mean, sure. how would you it'd be hard to Disneyfy that story, but that might be like the most alluded to fairy tale that I'm aware of. That one is alluded to. Can you think of a specific instance where there Jane are allusions Eyre. to Bluebeard? She actively yeah. thinks about being in Bluebeard's castle. And then, you know, she basically is. So Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, I think Bluebeard is a really common one. And I don't know that I've actually read the story itself. I've just read summaries of it because I know that it's commonly alluded to. Norton has another book called The Great Fairy Tale Tradition. And I think it's similar in its in terms of its um multicultural reach. It's grouped, it groups fairy tales thematically, which is interesting. Mm. And then offers even more, I think, criticism about them and kind of talks a little bit about where they're alluded to and retold throughout. Um I, I haven't read it, 
Uh, but I think it's interesting that they have the classic fairy tales one and this great fairy tale tradition one. I would be more curious to know how they compare and contrast. The nice thing about mythology and fairy tales and Bible stories is you can be reading a book and you can come across an illusion and you're like, okay, like I kind of know where this is coming from, or I'm going to search for this name or this fairy tale title. And most of these are available to read online or quick summaries are available. Um, So many Greek myths, Norse mythology, um, ancient mythology from different cultures, it's all collected in online databases now. Fairy tales are available for free online because these are all ancient stories that are in the public domain. And so they're really easy to search. Um, I will confess to something that is not very English teachery, but every now and then when I come across something that I know is an illusion um, or a title um, to a classic or a book that I haven't read, I just read the Wikipedia summary because oh yeah, I do that too. <laughs> Sparknotes is like too much. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need all of the Sparknotes. I don't need all of that information. I don't need to deep dive the illusion. I just want a really quick summary so that I can kind of catch a little bit of what's going on and move along in my reading. So I use Wikipedia a lot for this kind of a search. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think too, like, you know, I definitely do this with all of them. And then especially thinking about like biblical stories. I, I'm never going to tell somebody, well, you should read the Bible from cover to cover if you really want to pick up on literary illusions. But if you Google like common biblical stories alluded to in literature, there are probably, there, these people are probably English teachers who compile these for their classes. Mm -hmm. You could find these lists online and then search the story or, or, if you want to read the story directly, you can do that too, but you can find it quickly. Um, and like you said, things like thing, things that are such common illusions that you come across and you're like, oh, I recognize that that might be a biblical illusion. Then you can search it like the burning bush um, mm-hmm. or various parables like pearls before swine, like all of those kinds of things that the phrasing is so common. Maybe you come across it and then if you Google it and get the whole story, maybe it adds to your understanding of the text in which you found this reference. All right. So in addition to searching Wikipedia really quick for a quick summary, um, you can also keep listening to novel pairings. You can listen to our episodes without having read the book, especially if it's a book that you're like, I hear this talked about all the time. So say the Odyssey, for example. I hear this book talked about all the time. I want to be able to catch more references to it. I want to be able to understand what all of the hype is about. And I want to be able to read some retellings and adaptations of this book, but I just don't want to devote the time to reading the Odyssey. Um, You can listen to our Odyssey episode, and that might help you catch more illusions later on, especially because illusions are often tied to theme or character. Sometimes if the illusion is made in reference to a character or a character's name, it says something about who they are. Um, So just picking up on who key characters are in these commonly alluded to works can be helpful, or it's something thematic. Um, So if there is an allusion to the Odyssey, it might be connected to a theme of 
being far away from home or being on a long journey. Um, And so that's a lot of what we cover on Novel Pairings. So we are now going to share a brief list of some of like the big books, the big classics that we have seen allusions to in contemporary reading often. Um, This is not a comprehensive list by any means. You can share with us um, in the comments on Instagram or um, on our Substack newsletter, which other classics you would include in these like big illusion categories. Um, But we're just going to share the book, what might be alluded to sometimes, a few common themes. um, And we hope that this serves as a TBR builder, as Sarah said, or just like a nice little primer for you to tuck in your pocket for later. All right. Well, we already mentioned the Odyssey. That is a, I mean, that goes along with mythology, of course, but the Odyssey itself is, is frequently alluded to. Um, even just the phrase, an Odyssey, anytime you see it used, that is an, an allusion to this book. Um, but specific, specific incidents from the Odyssey, like the Lotus Eaters, the Siren Song, um, choosing between Scylla and Charybdis. Those are common phrases that you might hear as allusions to the Odyssey. You might get allusions to the character of, of Odysseus. And the Odyssey has so many themes, but Chelsea, what would you say? Like if you saw an allusion to the Odyssey, like what would your brain do in terms of thinking like, what themes might I connect here? Probably wandering. Mm, For sure. And like homelessness or um, longing for home. I think those are the ones that I would probably pick up on the most. Um, And maybe also fate. Um, In the Odyssey, fate itself isn't specifically mentioned, but like the gods controlling fate versus humans controlling fate is a really big common theme. Um, And so I might think about that, but I think the first thing that would come to mind would be like wandering home um, and being lost. And we'll add, I mean, in case anyone is listening to this episode much later, we have spent this summer reading Emily Wilson's translation of the Odyssey. And it is very readable, very accessible, and very fun. Um, The audio version is narrated by Claire Danes. It's an Audible exclusive, but if you're okay with using, making a purchase there or using a credit there, um, it's really a great listen. And we are not here. We say this all the time. And I think people just don't believe us. We are not here <laughs> to tell you, you have to read all of these classics, but we are here to tell you, if you really want to read the Odyssey, there is a good option available to you. That is pretty fun. It is mm-hmm. Emily Wilson's translation. It's great. And we've been doing recaps on Patreon and those will live on forever on Patreon. So if you read the Odyssey a year from now, um, as of this recording, and you want to go back and listen to our recaps and break it up and use our schedule, all of that will always be available to you in our Patreon community. So, um, yes, it is, it is there for you if you want to. Emily Wilson's translation is so good. 
Sarah, I think we should maybe group these next two together because Paradise Lost (laughs) and Dante's Inferno feel like they just kind of go together. And they also almost kind of fall more into the category of biblical illusions. Yeah. But it's like an interpretation of the Bible. Yes. So... And, and this is where illusions get so layered because then we will get into like Jane Eyre, which has many illusions to Paradise Lost, and then Rebecca, which has many illusions to Jane Eyre. And it's just like almost never ending. But this is right. This is why we started our podcast because books are in conversation with each other. <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay. So, Paradise Lost, listen, I really am not going to sit here and tell anyone to read Paradise Lost. In fact, don't. <laughs> we will tell you not to read it. <laughs> I had to read it in high school. Um, my my um, my English teacher at my Christian school referred to Milton as the Christian Shakespeare. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure um, like Shakespeare was also Christian. And yeah. I don't really know what you mean by this. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we read it. We read the whole thing. Uh, I'm sure I did not read the whole thing, but um, I mean, Paradise Lost is a retelling of the fall of Adam and Eve and and the fall of Lucifer, um, the angel who becomes the devil. Um, And it really, it's, uh, the protagonist is Satan. Not the hero, but he's like the the anti-hero. And this really, I think this is why this book is potentially considered so culturally important is it's one of the first, as far as we know, real anti-hero stories. Like you're not rooting for the protagonist and you know how, how things should end, but he's so compelling and you wouldn't want the story to focus on anyone else because he's the most interesting one. So that kind of framing, I would say, is not necessarily what we are calling illusions. But anytime you get like an anti-hero story, you might see allusions to Paradise Lost. Um, there are very specific ways that Milton describes the the temptation of Eve, these sort of Garden of Eden scenes that then you might see kind of reflected in different illusions, like the the way he describes their kind of sexual lust for each other, et cetera, um, is like very much extrapolated from the r- original biblical form. And authors kind of contend to maybe allude to Paradise Lost to bring different themes to mind rather than referring directly to the biblical story. Um, so I think that, you know, if you see sort of these paradise lost, um, connections, you might be thinking more about the idea of an antihero, like, because we get those references when, um, Jane and Rochester are in the garden together at Thornfield that feel very paradise, paradise lost. Like, I think we are supposed to be thinking of, can we trust this guy? Like, this isn't like a Garden of Eden scene. This is a Paradise Lost scene and what's about to happen to these characters. And are we even supposed to root for them? And as far as Dante's Inferno, this is an interpretation of hell. Yeah. And (laughs) specifically in the um, Western 
imagination, Dante's Inferno contributes to like how we have conceptualized hell and how we envision it. And so the different levels of hell, what it is like, what the demons are like, um, what Satan is like, all of those things kind of come more from Dante's Inferno. And so when you see books referencing Dante's Inferno or talking about um, hell specifically, that is mostly where it is coming from. Yeah. And just to keep on with this, like layers of layers, I I think Dante's Inferno is um, sort of a, like formally based on the Aeneid and Mm -hmm. Paradise Lost is sort of formally based on the Odyssey. So again, (laughs) layers upon layers (laughs) upon layers. Um, Okay, our next book on the list, we have an episode about. You can go back in our backlist and listen to Frankenstein. This one is very heavily alluded to in contemporary literature. And typically, if you find some Frankenstein allusions, you could be looking at themes of what is a human, like what is humanity, what makes us humans, Um, like what is the soul Um, what is the creator's role in humanity, um, and creation, um, like the creation of a being, the creation of a person, all of those themes you'll find associated with Frankenstein. Um, what else do you want to add about Frankenstein, Sarah? I think also the idea of playing God Mm -hmm. and what that means. Like if, if humans overreach, I mean... (laughs) I don't, I, I'm sorry. I can't help this, but Frankenstein also has allusions to Paradise Lost. It's one of the yep. books that the creature <laughs> reads. And so that idea of a, of a fall, of overreaching is all in there. And the subtitle of Frankenstein is A Modern Prometheus. And that myth is never brought up in the story, but the, that title, of course, is an allusion to the Titan who stole fire to give to the humans. Um, so bringing something godlike to humans and the punishment that goes along with that. So I think, um, I think Frankenstein's really, um, oh, Frankenstein is such a good one. I honestly, like of our list, I feel like if you want to read one book that not only will add a ton to you being able to pick up illusions, but also like e- expert use of illusions for furthering its own themes, Frankenstein is is it. Okay. Um, another one that we have an episode for is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And I feel like this is referenced all over the place. And because there is a Disney movie associated with it, um, it's kind of like, oh, I like I generally understand the concept of this little girl like falls into another world and um, has these like weird trippy adventures. Um, but I think as far as literary references, we might be looking at something different. What kind of themes do you think might emerge from an allusion to Alice? I mean, I I think some of that like wanderingness, but in a like more like upside down world kind of way, like I think allusions to Alice can remind us of like the uncanny, like things aren't exactly what they seem. They're a little off kilter. How does that feel? 
Um, yeah, the idea of a wonderland that is a little bit scary um, and unfamiliar, but exciting. Um, and I think we talked about in our episode that Alice's kind of loss of identity as she stumbles through Wonderland as a theme. So maybe, maybe if you, if the illusion feels like it's leaning darker, maybe maybe a little bit in that realm as well. Can you think of any others? I there I don't think there's a lot thematically. I think it's more we talked about in our class how sometimes illusions are more about the vibes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> how, yeah. I think like that's sometimes so right. an illusion is contributing to the atmosphere of a novel or the um like the feeling rather than the theme. And so I feel like with Alice's adventures in Wonderland sometimes it's more like a reference to Alice is more about like here are the vibes. We're going with a twisty turny world and innocent maybe naive character who like finds themselves lost. Um, that's more of, more of a vibey illusion to me. Yeah. That makes total sense. I love, I love a good vibey illusion. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Anna Karenina is a book we have not covered, but it's on our list. We'll, we'll get to it. Maybe, maybe you'll want to read along with us when, when we do. Um, it, it is certainly alluded to frequently in kind of love triangles, those sorts of, I would say it's a pretty vibey illusion as well. Um, if it's alluded to, I'm thinking that things are not going to end happily (laughs) Mm -hmm. for a particular couple. Um, I'm getting in my brain, the vibes of like that incredible passion. Um, but mm, I'm maybe concerned. (laughs) How about you? Yeah, this is a unique book in that there is a plot and there is like a love triangle. There's love and marriage and all of those themes. It's also very political, but it's pretty rare that I see an allusion to Anna Karenina that deals with the politics. Typically, it's more like you're going to be dealing with some infidelity, um, the love triangle, the messiness with a couple. um, And like you said, probably an unhappy ending. Yeah, maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe just a hardship. Yeah. But <laughs> okay, Jane Eyre I think is alluded to all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, can, can we spoil these classics? I mean, the idea of like keeping the secret locked in your attic, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be an allusion to Jane Eyre. Anytime I read about a bird in a cage, I think about Maya Angelou and Jane Eyre. Um, And it's going to be one or the other. It's going to be one (laughs) or the other. And it's pretty easy to tell based on context. Like what is imprisoning this character? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Also, that the Taylor Swift song, Invisible String, I think is an allusion to Jane Eyre because that's what Jane says to Rochester when they're professing their love is that she feels like there is an invisible string connecting her to him, um, connecting their two souls. They're, she, they're m- more about souls than hearts back in, back at this time. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think any of that can be allusions to, to Jane Eyre. Any other common 
Jane Eyre things you see pop up in books you're reading? Um, Maybe just the house itself. Yeah, a creepy house and a manor. More and more I've seen gothic literature with um, like either boarding schools or um, like someone inherits a creepy house and their Jane Eyre vibes. But then Mm -hmm. I also get Rebecca vibes from some of those. Mm -hmm. I feel like we can't talk about Jane Eyre without talking about Rebecca. Like those two kind of go back and forth with allusions, um, Rebecca alluding to Jane Eyre and, um, especially in contemporary Gothic or domestic thrillers, Mm -hmm. you're going to see a lot of Jane Eyre and a lot of Rebecca in Rebecca. I feel like you get a lot of, um, like bad vibes from the spouse. Mm -hmm. You might get a creepy housekeeper. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Um, and definitely like unreliable narrator. And if you if you have an unnamed narrator, mm-hmm. y- y- that's an allusion to Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I I always I think it's I, I know that some readers really don't like when a character is unnamed, and I love it because, like you said, it's an allusion to to Rebecca, to the yellow wallpaper, to to so much of the kind of feminist literary canon. And I just, I love when an author does that because it's like they're putting their stamp in the ground and saying like, I'm in conversation with these books. Think about them while you're reading me. And I think it's perfect. Speaking of that, I have been seeing more allusions to Beloved in my reading lately. And I mainly from Black authors um, and who are Alluding to Beloved in their work in some way, whether it is a a ghost or a specific quote from Beloved um, or, you know, like just a really key reference. And part of me thinks like, yes, this is alluding to Beloved and connecting to some specific themes. But another part of me is like it's bringing – by making an allusion to this work, it's bringing it into that status of like this is a classic we're alluding to this now. This is a classic. And this is something that everyone should read and know so they can catch these illusions. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. By by frequently alluding to a particular book, it elevates it into that kind of canonical must-read status. Yeah, I, I think I, I can't think of a specific one from this book, but I know when I read The Water Cure by Tanahasi Coates, I felt like there were many allusions to beloved. Um, so I, I love that you added this one to our list. Yeah. And if you come across something that's, um, kind of speaks to beloved, I think that you might look at themes of intense sacrifice, um, ancestry, ghosts from our past. Um, yeah, I think that those are probably some common themes that you would see with an allusion to beloved. Okay, speaking of canonical African-American literature, Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Oh, and we should say we have episodes on Jane Eyre, on Beloved, and on Their Eyes Were Watching God. Um, What do you – I think of like – of certain quotes and phrases like there are years that ask questions and years that answer when I think of Their Eyes Were Watching God. Um. Are there other illusions that you think harken back to this particular book? I was reading a book recently and the main character 
kept saying how her mother always said, women are mules, women are mules. Mm. And it's repeated throughout the book. And so um, I that's I don't think that's the first time that I've seen that yeah. um, quote alluded to. That's a pretty common one. I feel like their eyes were watching God. Zora Neale Hurston just has such iconic quotes in that one. I often see the quotes popping up in the illusions. But um, that's just, it's a book that features a really iconic, um, resilient heroine who is fiercely loving and um, deeply emotional and romantic, an interesting mix of soft and hard. And I feel like you're possibly getting with an allusion to their eyes were watching God sort of like that complex heroine, like there's, there's a really unique woman at the center of this story here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, um, I was thinking about how in Zadie Smith's On Beauty, one of the characters is named Zora and it both tells you a lot about her character, but it also tells you a lot about her parents given the fact that they would name her Zora. Um, so sometimes the the authors themselves can be alluded to, and that brings up their, their works and texts as well. Okay, Sarah. Two more we have episodes for. Yeah. Um, Pride and Prejudice. Now this one I feel like is often – referenced in romance novels or women's fiction. Um, But I like seeing it referenced in literary fiction as well. I think that most allusions to Jane Austen will signal some sort of social commentary or critique. Um, But with Pride and Prejudice, you also might get an allusion to, like if you get an allusion to Mr. Darcy or a comparison to Elizabeth Bennet, you're getting character descriptions. And I think Mm -hmm. that authors like to reference those really well-known characters pretty frequently. Yeah, I think that's right. And then, of course, anytime you see that it is a truth universally acknowledged, (laughs) fill in the Mm -hmm. blank, which you'll get in literature, but also in essays often start like that. And it, it is a little bit of irony, right? It's pointing your attention to, yes, there's going to be social commentary here, but we are winking at the fact that things might be universal um, and um, asking you to kind of pay attention to that that layer of, of irony and satire. And then The Great Gatsby, we also have an episode for it. And it is, I think, very much a particular like American literary touchstone. Um, of course, anytime you see a green light, can you help but but think of Gatsby? Like even <laughs> if it's because your English teacher just like hammered that home, like yeah. you just can't help it. <laughs> um, I feel like characters named Daisy. Yes, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um yeah, I'm trying to think of some other common allusions to the Great Gatsby. Often, if you're alluding to the Great Gatsby, you just say Gatsby. Yeah, you just yeah. like kind of drop the Great Gatsby in the novel, and um, like a character could be reading it, or um, just it gets mentioned, and it brings up all kinds of themes of class and the American dream and um, forbidden romance. Yes, 
Absolutely. And we, we, <laughs> I think we talk in our episode about not boiling Gatsby down to those like very, like, I don't know, the one sentence themes that we talk about in high school classrooms. But I think often when it's alluded to, that is what it's be what's being alluded to is that like death of the American dream sort of thing. <laughs> Look, if the book is going to lend itself well to boiling it down to a couple of themes, yeah. it's just the way it is, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. There's a reason it's read in high school classrooms across the country. I really only have one book to talk about for illusions we've noticed in our reading lately. <laughs> so okay. You can, you can pick a couple though. <laughs> I'll go. Okay. Well, first I'll say that after we taught our illusions class, I picked up my Fiction Matters book club book. This was our June book um, and started reading. And in the very first paragraph, this is from Telephone by Percival Everett. um, He says, an unsatisfactory truth like Banquo's ghost. And I was like, oh, an illusion. But then the sentence continues, such thoughts sit in the king's place, literary illusions being all the rage, <laughs> which I just thought was so funny um, because I was like so happy to see an illusion right away. And then he kind of goes on to like mock the fact that we look for literary illusions. <laughs> we should have put Macbeth and we should have just put Shakespeare on the list. I oh think Shakespeare gosh. belongs Shakespeare belongs with mythology, fairy tales, and biblical illusions. How did we I not think? put that on our list? I don't know. <laughs> like all of my illusions we've noticed in our reading lately are to Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, that's why I'm saying I think he belongs not with like individual plays on our list of individual books. Shakespeare just belongs in that category of like fairy tales and mythology and Bible stories because it's just there's so much to allude to. And I mean, I think Macbeth and Hamlet are probably yeah, that's what I would say the, the most frequently. Mm-hmm. King Lear too, actually, yeah. I think is pretty frequent. Those might be like the big three. Um, but more and more I see references to his comedies. Um, and so yeah, definitely lots of lots of Shakespeare illusions. And that's not to say that you have to read every single Shakespeare play to get a Shakespearean illusion. You'll recognize a lot of allusions to Romeo and Juliet. You might recognize a lot of them to Macbeth or Hamlet. Um, if you haven't read King Lear, that one might be worth a quick Wikipedia search um, just to read the um, summary because I feel like that one actually is brought up quite a bit too. Um, I can't help but think of succession. Oh yeah. Um, and King Lear, like totally. it's a King Lear retelling. It's like mm-hmm. an adaptation. Um, so yeah, Shakespeare. Yes. We're adding him now. We didn't yeah. miss him. We're just we adding him, him now. Just, yeah. Just <laughs> came late to the party. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so actually a handful of mine are, the titles are from Shakespeare, things that I've read recently. So tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, I would call this an illusion. I mean, the title is an illusion and the Macbeth play and this particular tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech is brought up. It is maybe explained a little bit more in this book than typically an illusion is. Um, but it's definitely, definitely there. And then Burnham Wood by Eleanor Catton 
the title again, an allusion to to Macbeth. This one, really, Burnham Wood is like the only touchstone to Macbeth. Um, the book reads in many ways like a Shakespearean tragedy, um, but Macbeth isn't really brought up any more than, than that title, so definitely an allusion. And then I just read a book called Enter Ghost, which is a stage direction in many Shakespeare plays. In this one, it is... Um, it is specifically alluding to Hamlet, and the the book actually centers on the a production of Hamlet. So it's more than an illusion. It is like an, including very heavy handedly um, connoting back to to that play, um, and then in a much more like just typical illusion kind of fashion, Fellowship Point by Alice Elliot Dark. I recently read. There are allusions to Edith Wharton throughout, which makes sense given the um, content here of kind of an inheritance plot. Um, and there are definitely biblical allusions. The characters are are Quaker. There is a moment when one of the characters just thinks to herself, Jesus wept, which is that shortest phrase in the shortest complete sentence in the Bible. Um and so great illusions throughout this. And it really reads like a like a 19th century classic. And so no surprise to find a ton of literary illusions in it. I was thinking about getting Edith Wharton on the list. So I've seen more and more lots of references, especially if it's a New York story and there's a reference to Edith Wharton. You know that there's going to be talk of class and probably like women's position in society and kind of like um, gossip. So Wharton is a, definitely a good one. Yeah. I mean, there are Edith Wharton allusions all through Gossip Girl, right? And mm-hmm. and so that is the show's way of telling us, you know, yes, we're watching like this high drama show about rich teenagers, but like this has been a story we've all enjoyed consuming for, for decades. <laughs> yeah. Forever. And when, so we don't quibble with like what is a reference versus what is an illusion versus what is a motif. But I will say, I think often you'll see an illusion repeated over and over again to the point where it becomes a motif, which is a a repeated um, theme or symbol or um, quote or thing in a book that gains more meaning the more it's repeated throughout the novel. And so I think a lot of illusions end up turning into motifs. And it's okay. You don't have to like constantly differentiate between these literary devices and literary terms. Um, Yeah, it's not a multiple choice test anymore, fortunately. Exactly. Um, But when you see an illusion repeating over and over again, I think that that signifies something deeper and more meaningful than just a one-off illusion. A one-off illusion is like, you can get it and you can pass by it. But if you see an illusion coming up again and again and again and you're not quite getting it, you might want to do a little quick search and see what you can find about it because it will likely illuminate your reading experience in some way. All right, Chelsea, what's your one book you wanted to talk about? Okay, Lone Women by Victor Laval, which, holy cow, this book. Did you read this one, Sarah? No, I want to. I love him and I love the cover, but I it's like actually horror, right? It is, but you know that I'm not a horror reader. Yeah. I was able to handle it. Okay. Okay. It's scary. So I didn't, I listened to it on audio and I only listened to it during the day. 
Um, but I found it manageable. Okay. Good so, to know. Um, it's – you need to read it. Okay. <laughs> it's really good, but, like, also um, fascinating thematically. It takes place in the West, um, out in Montana. The setting and the history is quite something. The structure of it, yeah, it's – I need to talk about it with someone. So okay. you, you'll have to read it so we can talk about it. But there were two main illusions that popped out at me. This is actually the book where the main character's mother um, frequently said women are mules. Um, and the main character is black. Um, and so that connection to their eyes were watching God and that quote, um, because Zora Neale Hurston's quote is specifically about black women being the mules of the world, um, feels like a very direct illusion. And then the main character brought some books with her and remembers her father reading a specific book, and it is The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. And it's brought up multiple times throughout the book. I have not read The Tenant of Wildfell Hall yet. Oh, you should. We should cover it. I we love, should. I love Anne. And so <laughs> I did a quick little Wikipedia search and found that Lone Women is actually structured in the same way as The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. It's in three oh. parts. But I don't think that that's it. Like, I feel like there's a lot that go can go deeper with that. So that was a really fun nugget. And then that I think that's the fun part about illusions is they can send you on another literary journey. You don't have to, like, I don't feel like I had to get it right away while reading Lone Women in order to get plenty out of the book. But then knowing like, oh, if I go on to read The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, which has always been on my list, and I figure we'll we'll do it for the podcast at some point, if I go ahead and read that, then I can think about Lone Women again and maybe I'll think about it and reflect on it in a different way. So I love a literary journey like that. I'm very excited. I love that too. I was even thinking about like with Fellowship Point, which I loved so much and loved some of the characters. I actually recently like bought one of the books that the character said was her favorite book because it's like you when you have reader characters in a story and you hear what their favorite book is, it's almost like getting a recommendation from a friend, like a character you love. And then if you do follow up and read that book, it maybe tells you more about the story as a whole, but at the very least really enhances your understanding of the character who referred you to the book. So yeah, I love, I love literary rabbit holes like that too. And we really, we've got to We've got to do. We've got to do more Brontes. We've only done. We do Jane Eyre. We haven't done Wuthering Heights. We haven't done. Maybe we need to just do like a a Bronte month deep dive at some point or something like yeah. that. Yeah, that would be fun. Well, that is, I think, about all we have to say on illusions. We talked way more in depth about illusions in our class on Patreon, so you can go and check that out at the literature scholar level. But before we go and before we do all of our announcements at the end of the episode here, we wanted to share a lovely review. This is from DMA789 who writes, 
I discovered novel pairings earlier this year and have loved listening each week. I don't have as much time to read as I used to, so this is a much needed escape. It has also helped introduce me to new and old books. I spend less time surfing the internet for inspiration and more time reading books I love. The ladies are smart and insightful, and they have a warm and positive approach to literary criticism. Their friendly banter is a joy to listen to. Keep it up. Thank you. We so appreciate you taking the time to write those kind words. I mean, we really love reading nice reviews. Who doesn't? That was so sweet. (laughs) So sweet. If you like to support our show, a quick and easy way is to visit Apple Podcasts and submit your review. It takes just a few minutes and it helps new listeners discover our abundant backlist content. We've also got tons of resources for you in our free weekly newsletter at novelpairings.substack.com and a whole catalog of classes, episodes, and learning experiences to choose from in our paid community on Patreon. We've talked a little bit this on on mic recently and a lot more off mic and we'll be bringing it more on mic in the future about public scholarship and how important that is to us, Chelsea, as two lifelong learners who have advanced degrees in literature who have left the classroom about turning our scholarship and our love of learning towards the public. And that, um, that is really our, our mission here. And we have a ton of that available in our Substack newsletter. And of course on, on Patreon and however you choose to read along with us and learn along with us, we are so grateful. Reach out if you have any questions about our member community or how to get more out of your classic literature reading. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. We'll be back this summer with more episodes on the Odyssey and our summer reading very soon. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.